You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. We're going to be looking at John 2, 1 through 11 this morning. As you know, we're in a new series through John. Uh, we're in the third week. Uh, Chris preached last week, and uh, we're looking at the book of John, and as I said, it's a, it's a different book. It's not like the other gospel stories. It's not set up the same way. It's just interesting, uh, and there's a lot fascinating about it. It's intriguing, and, and John makes you think about Jesus and Christianity in, in, in ways that you normally wouldn't get just from the basic story that the other ones tell. Today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at the first miracle. When Jesus came to earth, what was the first miracle that he performed? I mean, think about it. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's about to introduce the fact that he can perform miracles, that he can do things that only God himself can do. So he's, he's about to introduce that. So what is he going to do? Is he going to heal somebody? Is he going to raise somebody from the dead? I mean, this is his very first one. So let's see today, and I'll say this. If the miracle doesn't surprise you, I guarantee you that the reason that he does do the miracle will, uh, and it's not what you think. So let's look at our passage for today, John chapter 2, 1 through 11. And on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said, they have the wine. And he said to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6, it says, now there were six stone jar, water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So in total, we're talking about 120 to 180 gallons here. Jesus said to his disciples, fill them up with water, and they filled them to the realm. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast, which is like the master ceremony or the wedding of planner or the event planner. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water did, they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said, Listen, everyone serves the good wine first. When people have drink, drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his sons. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, open our eyes today and let us see what you would have us to see from your word. Not just what my opinion might be, but what is it that you want us to see speaking through me about who you are, who your son is, and what you would have us to do in response. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this topic today is kind of, right now, is near to, near to me for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, it, it, it ties into what we talk about our church all the time, about feasting, about hospitality. In our community... Chelsea Perez is known for that. I don't know if you know that, but outside these walls, we are known for a church that has that serves has, uh, hospitality and for feasting. 
and uh, from our cookouts to being a presence at the civic functions, uh, the, the barbecue competition, fire at Foothills Hills that we talked about, to our brunches on Sunday morning, we have a reputation for feasting. In fact, about every two weeks I walk into a restaurant or a coffee shop or a grocery store in Chelsea and someone say, there's the barbecue man or there's the brisket man. And I guess uh, as a pastor in the community, it can be known for worse than that, right? <laughs> But it's been in my mind also in this way lately. We just got back from a beautiful wedding in, in Memphis, and um, and because we're planning a wedding for my daughter right now, and it's a it's a very small wedding, but I'm figuring out it has some of the same components and a lot of times some of the same price tags. By the way, uh, my daughter, if you don't know, is not a materialistic person. Uh, she's fine with a very simple wedding, but she also doesn't mince words. She's like her mom, uh, and here's case in point. Here's the first thing she said about the wedding plan. She said, Dad, I, you know I love you. She said, but can we not do barbecue for the reception? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. So today we find Jesus at a wedding. It's an extravagant wedding. Folks have been partying for a while, even for days. But the wedding has a crisis now, and they need help. And they turn to Jesus. So what's the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself, what is he going to do with a situation that's just mundane as somebody ran out of wine at a party? What's he going to do with that? So we're going to look at three points. Those three points are in the order of worship. We're going to talk about the wedding party itself. We're going to talk about the first miracle. And then we're going to talk about the manifested glory. So let's look at our first point, the wedding party. Uh, look at the first few verses here. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said, They have no wine. And Jesus said, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. By the way, when he says woman there, that's not, uh, it's not derogatory. I mean, people read it that way. He's not like saying, Woman, what are you doing? But he's actually addressing her as a, a, a lady or a woman. Uh, My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So the background is simple here. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. It's a wedding, and Jesus and his disciples are invited. And right off the bat, we see that people wanted Jesus. And this is the crazy part. People wanted Jesus and his disciples at the parties that they have. That has not always been the, the, the case. Matter of fact, a lot of people I know, Christians are the last person that they want at their party. We would be party crashers. We would be the joy killers in their mind. Um, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But they, they, they wanted Jesus at their parties. And they wanted his family. And they wanted his disciples there. Because they didn't feel uncomfortable with that. Because both Jesus and his mother were invited to the celebration. The wedding was probably a, a family affair to a degree. And one of their relatives was probably getting married. We don't know that for sure. But you also need to understand this. In the first century, weddings lasted far longer than they do today. Sometimes they would last as long as a week of celebration and uh, so in the course of this celebration and by the way the guests would stay for days and days can you imagine that uh, so in the course of the celebration of, at Canaan the wine ran out this prompted Mary he came he came to Jesus for a solution to the problem now what Mary is expecting Jesus to do is not entirely clear we don't know this for sure it could be that she expected him to go get wine or procure it in some kind of ordinary way. 
Or perhaps she was actually looking for a miracle here. We don't know that. But look at Jesus' answer. He says, wait, wait, I'm not quite ready to begin my public ministry. See, Jesus was subtle so far about the way he was coming in and going to get followers and, and, and get them to understand who he was and announce his presence on the earth. At this point, he was preparing and planning for his ministry to the masses. But he knows that immediately he performs a miracle or something miraculous happens. Word is going to get out like wildfire and people are going to hear about it. And that after this point, he can no longer remain in the shadows. And this is his hesitation. But he's gracious here. And he decided that he would help anyway. So here's the first thing you need to understand today. The fact that Jesus would attend lavish parties that went on for days says something about what God thinks about the goodness of such celebrations. How he felt about them. Don't get me wrong. There, there are certain things that become too much in our, our lives and that we do in excess. Things that we love more than we should or, or enjoy more than we should. Those become idols and addictions in our life. And in those cases, of course, Jesus would call us to deny ourselves in those situations or even outright avoid those things if we can't enjoy them in moderation. But here's the other thing. Being a follower of Jesus is by no means living a stoic, unfeeling, unpleasurable life where all the pleasure is over here and our life is over here and if you are a follower of Jesus and you can't do these things. That's not, you just don't see that in the Bible. It's not a lifestyle that has no place for, for festivities and fun and celebration. It's just the opposite. And Jesus is about to show us this. Look at number two, the first miracle. Verse six says this. Now, there was a stone, uh, six stone water jugs, and they were there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, as we said, you know, somewhere around 150 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that was now had become wine and did not know where it came from, the servants who threw the water did, said, the master of the feast went to the bridegroom and he says, whoa, you got it backwards this time. Everybody usually serves the, the, the good one first. And the people have drunk freely when they can't taste as well and they've had a little bit, then they bring out the bad wine. But you've done the opposite. Why'd you do that? Now, this party had been going on for a while because obviously people had drunk more than the host had planned for. They weren't naive about this. They knew it was going to last this many days. And they had planned to have this much wine. Uh, so people were drinking a lot. Uh, and they had drunk obviously more than the host and the party and the family thought they would. In the first century, the, the, the family was, the, uh, was expected to provide all the food and the drinks for their guests for days. So, when they held a wedding party and they run short on wine, it carried the threat of being socially embarrassed at that point. And the embarrassment was always on the bridegroom. See, Jesus' willingness to intervene and try to rectify the situation by providing more wine was clearly an act of graciousness in respect to the bridegroom here. It was not Jesus' fault that they ran out of wine. He was not, under no obligation to step in. Matter of fact, everybody would have been fine. There's probably still food left. They could have drank water, something like that. 
But in his grace, Jesus solved the problem for the bridegroom and made it possible for the festivities, for the party, to continue. And they had never had wine this good. The wedding planner went, went to the, the bridegroom and said, why do you wait so long to bring out the best wine? I mean, can you imagine, like, wine that Jesus created? Unbelievable. But here's another thing we need to think about. This is his very first miracle. His very first miracle wasn't healing someone. It wasn't raising someone from the dead. And let's be honest, it doesn't seem like a very spiritual thing for Jesus to do for his first miracle. So why this miracle? Let me give you two reasons. First is simple. Jesus just wanted to keep the party going. That's it. Uh, he wanted people to enjoy themselves. Now, I have to say this because someone at this point, some folks will be wondering. Obviously, yes, I know the Bible does not condone drunkenness. And I am not condoning drunkenness. In the same way the Bible also condemns, if we don't want to talk about this, gluttony. All things in moderation, right? No doubt. That's not what we're saying here. I'll have to say that because I have to give that caveat because I know some people where they're going to take it. But here's what the Bible does condone and what God is pleased with. And our church is a firm believer in this, that feasting and enjoying life and enjoying the good gifts that God has given us, it brings pleasure to God. And this may surprise you. There's a verse in Deuteronomy. And if you know anything about Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the, one of the law books. Uh, and so in Deuteronomy, but, but listen to this. Chapter 14, look it up. Chapter 14, verse 26 in Deuteronomy. God tells his people to save your money throughout the year so that you can enjoy, he doesn't say wine, he says strong drink. Like think port or bourbon here. Strong drink, rich meat, or whatever your appetite craves. And enjoy it with your friends and share it with others. We're to praise God for it. That's what it said in Deuteronomy. This is in the law books. This is the verse I want to put on my bumper sticker uh, on my car. For all these Christians come around saying he didn't turn water into wine. And, you know, that would just be my way of saying that's not true. Um, uh, there's other ways to say that. But anyway, uh, so it, it, this is what we're talking about here. We're to praise God and rejoice. And God is rejoicing with us in those moments. Those are the parts of the Bible, parts of Christian that people don't want to talk about. And this is one of the primary reasons that the outside world is not attracted to our churches. Of the way we have presented Christianity, that's the opposite of what Jesus presented when he walked here on the earth. We should be out partying the unbelievers because through Jesus, we have the ability to enjoy these things, these good things that God gives us, and not make an addiction out of them. We have the capacity to do that that the world doesn't have. And that's what's missing in most churches today. But let's definitely not miss the second reason for the miracle. And it ties into our last point, the manifested glory. Look at verse 11. This, the first of his sons, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. So apparently the disciples were walking around. They still had doubts. When this happened, they didn't have any doubts anymore. <clears throat> Not that they didn't have any doubts, but they didn't have the doubt that they had before. See, these miracles, this sign here, all the things he does, they show Jesus' deity and call him or those around him to acknowledge and believe in him as the Son of God. And more than that, it brings attention to, to the fact that Jesus is God himself. And the whole story that John is telling, and we're going to see this all throughout the sermon series in John, 
that miracles are used to convince people that Jesus is God and that his promises are real. See, John wants his readers to know Jesus is something special, something different. John wrote his gospel to, to, to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, but also it, it strengthens people that already know this. It, it brings comfort to us. These are these are empirical proof for us to, to kind of solidify that in the heart. He, and he's not just uh, the Messiah, but he does things that only God can do. And that's the point. And we're going to see this a lot more as we study John. But let me conclude with this today. See, Jesus is both our Lord and he's also a teacher. Just like he was with the disciples. And in this passage, he's showing us his willingness to celebrate at a wedding and it teaches us something about Christian discipleship. And that's this. Following him, following Jesus is not incompatible with enjoying nice things in life, whether it be food, drink, money, cars, whatever you want to say. It's not incompatible. It does call you to view those things differently, but it's not incompatible with enjoying those things. So he is calling us to enjoy the gifts that he has given us, even sometimes in extravagant ways. See, the beauty of the gospel is this. Because of Christ, right now, right here, because of Christ, you're not invited to obey a set of rules. This is what we're, I'm not inviting you to, Jesus is not inviting you to, but you're invited to a feast. You're not just invited to know about life principles in Christianity, but to experience life to the fullest. And here's another cool thing to think about. See, in the Bible, when Jesus talks about us, his church, he talks about his, us as his bride. He talks about himself as the bridegroom. We are the bride, and he is the groom. Look at our quote for the day at the beginning of this, and this is the last thing we're going to talk about. It's a quote, a quote by Tim Keller. It says this, In these events, Jesus is thinking about his wedding day. The consummation of all consummations, the ultimate union, the ultimate embrace, the wedding feast to end all wedding feasts. See, Jesus is thinking in this miracle at Canaan. He doesn't want to embarrass the bridegroom. He wants to dignify and respect the bridegroom because he knows what it feels like to be a bridegroom and preparing for the feast that he's going to plan. He's thinking of what it's going to require to bring his bride to him as his followers. He knows that he's going to have to drink the cup of the curse and that is going to his death so we can drink the cup of blessing and celebration which is life. As I'm thinking about my own daughter's wedding reception, I'm constantly drawn to imagine and rejoice in all of our future wedding feasts when our true bridegroom, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who was put to death so that we could celebrate. And see, our earthly receptions and weddings, it's just a foreshadowing, a small picture of what's going to happen one day in the new heavens and the new earth. Weddings cost a lot, even small ones, I know that for a fact. But can you imagine a wedding and a wedding reception that God throws? Can you imagine that? It would be extravagant. And people are like, well, he's God. Of course, he has all the resources in the world, but it cost him everything. It cost him the price of his own son. And now we can all rejoice because he did drink that cup the cup of death so that we can drink the cup of life, making it possible 
for us to enjoy feasting now and feasting ultimately even better in the future. Think about that as we come to the bread and the cup today at Jesus' table, at His feast at the communion table today. Let's pray. My God, we are overwhelmed with Your goodness. The world is intoxicated. Um, and we fool around sometimes. We misuse it. Uh, we, we abuse it. We, we take it in. We don't give you credit for it or, or, or gratitude for it. Lord, help us to view the world rightly. But help us not to be the body and your, your body and go out to the world and misrepresent how you feel about celebration and feasting in life. Lord, help us to be careful with that. You, you say that you call us to life, but life abundantly. May we share that with people, not just in our words, but in the way that we interact and share the good news of your death and your resurrection and your ascension and the new heavens and the new earth that will be a wedding feast one day. Help us to remember that. Help us to communicate that well. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.